Thanks for joining us today on Mormon Land, where we explore the contours and complexities of news about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm managing editor Dave Noyce. I oversee the Salt Lake Tribune's faith coverage. I'm joined again by senior religion reporter Peggy Fletcher-Stack. Hi, Peggy. Hi, Dave. To begin, we remind our listeners that they can support Mormon Land by going to patreon.com forward slash mormonland to make a donation. There, you can access, among other exclusive gifts and content, transcripts to our podcasts. Again, that's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Mormonland. You also can keep up on the latest happenings in and about the church via our newsletter. Just sign up at sltrib.com forward slash Mormon hyphen land. Now for today's show. The recently completed 191st Semiannual General Conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints provided 10 hours of sermons from the faith's top leaders, including four women among the dozens of men. In this fourth straight all-virtual general conference, worldwide listeners from the 16.6 million member church heard speeches ranging from mental illness, social conflicts, and the importance of temples, to the need to hold fast to faith in Christ, use the church's full name, and take precautions against the coronavirus pandemic. Here to discuss what transpired is Emily Jensen, a writer and web editor for Dialogue, a journal of Mormon thought. Emily, welcome. I'm happy to be here. We're happy to have you. And so tell us overall, what were your impressions of this conference? Overall, um, there were some really good talks. When the talks were good, they were they were amazing. Um, a lot of people liked certain talks. Um, I especially, especially saw some chatter about um, some talks that I'm sure we're going to talk about being some of the best that they've heard. Um, and then there were talks that were somewhat forgettable in some ways. Um, and there were a few talks that I heard um, and then would notice online that people were like, I, I got to shut it off. I got to walk out. Um, and we can talk about those as well. Hmm. So, yeah, let's we can get into those. Um, uh, let me ask you, outside of the temple announcements, which we can also talk about, there weren't any big, huge uh, announcements or shifts in policy or procedure. And that's sort of been the trend during the pandemic. Have you have, have you noticed that? Yes, although it did feel like for a moment there when President Nelson was talking about temples that he might have had some sort of temple announcement or some way of talking about the temple that would have um, made people who go to the temple understand that there was changes being made um, within the temple, but that didn't really seem to go anywhere. So people now expect that perhaps changes will be coming and um, we, we won't be talking about them, but still changes will happen within the temple. Yeah, we were braced for that and they've made some changes, but he did say, and those to come or something like that. Right. So. Correct. Yeah. So what did you think about um, the repeated messaging about vaccinations and social distancing, you know, with the choirs and what you just saw among the leadership who were there? Yes, I, of course, um, really appreciated it. Um, I think that there have been way too many people who have unfortunately passed away from COVID. And I think the church understands the importance of doing those three things that they mentioned at every welcome. They said, we, everyone here has been fully vaxxed. Um, we are having people be socially distant and we are wearing masks as necessary. Um, when, when the choirs sang and when the people spoke, they, they took off their masks, but pretty much I think the rest of the time people were, wear, were wearing masks. And um, there's a really sweet moment that you saw with um, 
think the Saturday afternoon session when President Nelson and Sister Nelson stood up and spoke to the choir that was there. And you could see the choir was fully masked and they were fully masked. And yet they still could have this moment of connection um, with with the prophet. Um, However, I did see some really interesting reaction to, um, those, 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 um, intros. Um, I follow some people who are, um, who who call themselves anti-vaxxers and they were pretty angry that the church did that every single session. They said it felt like the spirit left as soon as, um, one of the first presidency members (laughs) said that, or I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't focus on the messages of the conference because I was still thinking about that intro. And then it would get into to some conspiracy theories of it must be it must be a front for the government. They must feel like they have to do this for the government. I saw that <laughs> multiple times. I just think people um, are just trying to figure out any way possible to make what they see as um, something that doesn't make sense to them make sense. And I think that was problematic. It, it did seem clear the church leaders were trying to send a distinct message about that. That's for sure. Uh, and, and about you know, the, the importance of getting vaccinations, which they've been saying all along uh, and following these other guidelines. How did it feel to have the tab choir performing live again? Oh, I was, I was really excited about that. When, when they sang how firm a foundation, I, I love that song. I, I love the way they have it, um, the way they sing it. And I was singing aloud and along and it was, oh, it was delightful. And I, I, I'm friends with some of the members of the Tabernacle Choir who were just ecstatic to be there again. We hope you're enjoying this episode. You can support Mormonland by going to patreon.com forward slash Mormonland to make a donation and receive exclusive content, including transcripts of our podcasts. You can also sign up for our free weekly newsletter at sltrib.com forward slash Mormon hyphen land. Now back to our show. So let's dive into the actual talks. Is there a particular talk that stood out to you? Um, there were a couple, but probably my very favorite, um, was elder. I got to make sure I say this right because he's from Denmark. Um, elder Kopishka, Kopishka, um, who talked about mental health. And, um, I was not the only one who saw this as a very important talk. There was lots of people online and even, even in my household who listened to it, um, and were just, so grateful for the candor in which he spoke about mental health, um, suicidality even, and, and, um, wrapped it all in a personal story with his son. Um, and I just, it was just so important. I'm not, I'm not a therapist or, um, any of those things, but I imagine that even therapists were pretty heartened to hear the way that he, um, focused on, on, on these experiences and, and talked so much about, you know, getting educated about mental health, being there for the people, um, the, the way that their, um, their fellow church members reacted to the experiences that they had. It just, the entire talk just was beautiful and so needed. Yeah, you don't hear very many talks about kids coming home from missions early unless somehow they, quote, repent and go back or something like that. So this was really rare. Any any other talks that just really stood out? I mean, I love... In a positive way. um, 
I love Sister Eubanks. Eubanks, she um, always speaks to my heart, it feels like. And um, her experiences with all the different service opportunities that um, she and so many other people in our church get to have been able to have in the last year and a half with COVID and um, and, and even other things. And the way she um, presented those, the cookie at the beginning was delightful. Um, and then um, I, I specifically remember the story about the German um, church members who um, sewed traditional religious head coverings for the Af- the Afghan refugees who came in and they they had lost their head coverings somehow in, in all the um, melee and um, these women saw that that was so important to them for their for, for their religion and said okay let's do this and I just thought that was such a beautiful example of reaching out to others um Elder Renlund's talk? What did you think about that? I, I quite enjoyed Elder Renlund's talk. Again, um, I felt like his was probably the most um, direct in terms of talking about uh, uh, the, the, the COVID response of the church and, and the need for us to be unified in um, getting vaccinated and doing the things that um, we've been we've been counseled to do by um both scientists and religious leaders. And, um, he, he mentioned the safe and effective vaccine. And again, in certain corners that I saw that was, um, they said they turned off the talk as soon as they heard that because they just Mm. do not believe in that. But his talk was, um, a talk about not being divisive and being unified. And I think that's an important way to, to talk about these things because we have so much divisiveness about, um, um, politics and about um, the medical COVID stuff that's going on. Um, however, it is a little bit hard and and kind of putting Elder Renlin aside because he actually was pretty direct in talking about um, the COVID stuff. But sometimes I think when they talk about unity and, and divisiveness, they don't get direct. Um, and so um, there's a lot of people who believe things that other church members completely believe the opposite. And it's hard to feel unified with those people when it feels so on such different sides of, of a thing. And, and, and some of those stories are like, you know, the election was stolen and COVID is fake or, you know, LGBT people are evil on their face kind of a thing. And I think that maybe in terms of unifying and divisiveness, whenever we talk about them, we also need to kind of talk again about how we root out some of those problems that people believe that are just not true. You know, as you were talking about, the reactions that you were hearing when they would mention vaccines or social distancing. And then Elder Renland, I believe, said there's work still to do among us, meaning Latter-day Saints, he was saying, uh, to cure that divisiveness. It just shows it sort of reinforced what his message was. Right. In other words, yeah, there's still a lot of disunity there on some things. Yes. Yes. And I think that's really important. And I also appreciate that, you know, he has a medical degree and I think he is one of the ones that should talk to it. Um, President Nelson also did bring up the the miracle of the vaccine or something to that effect in his first talk and um, or the importance of it. And again, I think that does, for whatever reason, God put them in these these positions for this time. So what did you think about 
um, Apostle Jeffrey Holland's sermon. He was the first speaker of the, the two-day conference, um, and it was his first talk since his controversial speech at Brigham Young University, where he called out a gay valedictorian and urged faculty to defend the church on same-sex marriage with metaphorical muskets. So everyone was kind of waiting to hear what he had to say. What did you think about his speech? Um, I still don't know when they finish these speeches in terms of timing. He might have had the speech done, you know, months ago or whatever. I know that they can change them up to a certain point um, and sometimes even when they're speaking. So he could have said something direct and it would have been lovely to hear him talk about um, the hurt and maybe even apologize for doing that to um Matt Easton. Um, however, so when I was listening to it, it did feel like almost a direct addendum to his BYU address because um, he told the story of the rich young ruler and spoke about not, you know, people shouldn't label themselves and that um, everyone should not be divided and we should take up the cross of Christ, however demanding it be, may be, regardless of the issue and regardless of the cost. And so you just as an, you know, as, as a continuation of the talk, you wonder if it's the cost is, you know, being LGBT or the issue is, you know, having to take up your muskets. It, so it didn't feel very Christ-like in my mind, um, but he wasn't specific and it could be read probably in multiple ways, but it was to me disappointing. Given that this conference was originally going to be a, a women's session, of course, and then the church leaders decided, uh, once they decided to continue Saturday night meetings, um, to make them general sessions, um, for, for men and women, there'd be no longer a priesthood session, for instance, for all the men and boys. How did you feel about, you mentioned Sharon Eubank, how'd you feel about the female speakers there? There, there were four and, and three women offered prayers. Numbers are still small, but how did you feel about those who spoke and what would you like to see in that space? Um, I always am interested to see the comparison of how many men and women speak, because I think it's so um, jarring to see that, you know, you had four women speakers who spoke for 40 minutes in, in this conference and you had 35 male speakers who spoke for 375 minutes. And so, you know, that's about. 10%, a little over 10%. And that's just not very acceptable in like most of the world. Um, I, I think that the women did, did wonderful jobs. Um, I, all, all four of them, I can talk about their talks. Um, sister Johnson's speaking, they were very Christ centered. It felt like to me, um, they were just, they were just absolutely lovely. And I think they took the time that, that was given to them and used it very well. Um, as well as the prayers. I love to hear women prayer pray. I have not heard a woman pray at the beginning of conference though it might have happened, but I'd like to see it happen sometime in recent times, because sometimes I worry that we have, um, ideas about, uh, older ideas about the, uh, the, the priesthood holder has to begin a meeting. Um, but yeah, I mean, they were beautiful and wonderful. And I just think that should say that we need more of them. Um, I think that the Saturday evening session, felt like it was too long because it wasn't a themed session in sense. Um, it just felt like a continuation of a very long Saturday general conference day. There was no real difference. Um, and I, I think maybe that's why they were thinking about not having it. 
Um, however, yeah, I would, I would be one to vote for not having it, even though <laughs> would make our <laughs> deadlines easier. That's for sure. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. just very long. It was a very long day. And I think having a, having a theme of some sort helped in that before. And as well as traditions around it, you know, you had women going out together and men going out together and stuff. So I, I don't know what it was, but it just, it didn't feel needed. Uh, were there are there any talks we're not talking about that um, you have thoughts about specific talks? Um, yes, uh, I thought that there was in the first session some interesting whiplash between um, Elder Soros's talk about compassion and not judging one another um, and the love of God, and then having Elder Christofferson happened just next where he tried to somehow define God's love as unconditional, but conditional. And I I need to read through the talk to maybe parse out what he was saying, but from the summaries, he pretty much said God's love is all embracing, but not, but it's still conditional. And he said something about the fact that the more you love God, the more they can love you or the better you, you know, the more righteous you are, the more that they will bless and love you. And to me that, that is saying God's love is conditional. And I think that's problematic. Um, another talk that I tweeted about, which was, um, I never thought about this, which is maybe sad, but um, it was in Saturday afternoon and it was Elder Villanueva's talk who talked about his a missionary who stayed out in the field. And this is, again, kind of whiplash to Elder Kubishka's talk, um, but who had his mother and his um, brother had passed away in an accident and Elder Villanueva you know, praised this missionary for being so strong and staying out in the field. And so I, I had, I tweeted at that point, I really think that the default should be that missionaries come home for funerals of family. And I got some pushback saying, of course they're given a choice. And I'm like, no, 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 no. They, it should be the default. It should be a, that the church pretty much automatically allows for missionaries to go home for funerals of family. Um, Artist Partial noted that, you know, it could be a a cultural holdover from when it was a lot lot harder to get back from missions. But now it's so easy. We can, you know, hop on a plane. I mean, not okay, not everywhere is so easy, but most I would say it's pretty easy logistically to get them home. And I, I, I also had so many people tweet how sad and and guilt-ridden they were for having missed funerals on their missions. And I thought that's not what we want. We want to be able to, as a family first church, we want to be able to allow for, for, for missionaries to be able to go and say that final goodbye and be a support to their family. And so if it was the default, I, I imagine that could take off the pressure for missionaries to feel like they have to be this amazing elder or sister who stays in the field during the sorrowful time. Uh, any other talks that you wanted to mention? Uh, yes. I thought that President Oaks's talk about church attendance and the nuns was very interesting. I appreciated that he um, kind of spoke about it being happening all over because it is it is something that is happening throughout um, religions, that, that there, is, there is a rise of people who don't want to go to church for 
or who, who don't attend, not want to go, who don't attend for various reasons. And, um, and then he pulled it into our church. However, um, I, and, and to be fair to president Oaks, he did talk about the fact that there's a lot of good done outside of church and, um, within civic organizations and other places where I think people maybe find their spiritual, um, sustenance outside of organized religion. And I, I, he didn't put that down, but he did then turn around and just say how important it is for people to go to church, especially our church, because our church is the most important, which you would understand coming from a leader of our church. Um, but I, I had a couple of problems with it. One being, you know, we have this pandemic going on and, um, I, after the talk was over, I I texted our neighbor who has pretty much stayed home the entire pandemic because he he studies disease and um, his children are too young for vaccination. And he said, he told me that as soon as the talk was over, he had to remind his kids that they do attend church. They Zoom church every week. And it would have been just, I think, a great thing if President Oaks had said, you know, you don't have to be in church at this point. It's a pandemic. And if you don't feel safe or these are the things we're going to make it so it's safe, you know, everyone has to be vaccinated and masks and social distanced for everyone to feel safe. Or if you have um, extenuating circumstances, you know, let's keep Zoom as an option for people. I know there's people in our ward who um, have chronic pain and they cannot go to church and they have really appreciated the Zoom church. And so him not mentioning any of those things and just kind of, you know, hammering down the fact that you have to have your, your bum in a church pew pretty much, I think was a a missed opportunity. And I think that we should understand that there's, there's a lot of reasons why people are not attending. I think they're just seeing the numbers being kind of abysmal with COVID. Um, and that's not just our, that's not just our church. There's a lot of other churches that are having that problem, but a, a lot of it right now is because people do not feel safe and we can get back into the idea that they don't feel physically safe, but there's also the idea of they feel like they don't belong in our church because of the, de- the divisiveness of the political rhetoric as well. So the concluding speaker was Apostle Neil Anderson, and he essentially reiterated President Nelson's call not to use the term Mormon to refer to members. Did you think it persuaded any of those holdouts? (laughs) No, (laughs) not at all. Um, I actually tweeted, he said something about the fact that it was non-negotiable. And I wrote, the church has changed its name multiple times, which means it is negotiable. And if you go to the the website, the church of Jesus Christ.org um, history topics, name of the church, you'll see that it's changed four times within our history, um, different um, iterations of it. And so I, again, I, I think that there, that just might be belaying a frustration that not enough people are saying that the church's correct name, maybe even inside the church, um, but maybe outside as well. I, I just, I didn't find that talk necessary or really that edifying and don't love it when, um, leaders say things that are a little bit more black and white. Speaking of that, I have one other talk I was going to talk about, and that was, um, elder cook, um, Elder Cook said something historically that wasn't exactly accurate. And I think that's important that we understand that. Um, He mentioned that 
the um, people in Missouri were um, kicked out of Missouri because of the um, or that Joseph Smith was jailed and, and the people kicked out and the problems in Missouri were, were because we were anti-slavery. And I saw, thought that it was interesting that um, Paul Reeve got on Twitter and kind of explained that, yes, you can extrapolate a little bit of that. I mean, um, all these Missourians saw a group of Mormons, I mean, a group of, of um, church members coming in as a block and worried that they were anti-slavery um, and some were. But um, as our history will bear out after that, um, a lot of leaders were not anti-slavery. Even Joseph Smith later talked about slavery in ways that um, just add a lot of important nuance. And so the idea that the idea that we were anti-slavery was the reason why we had all the troubles in Missouri isn't quite accurate. So, Emily, I'm going to return to a talk you said wasn't one of your favorite <laughs> because okay. maybe it's because we're on Mormon land. But, you know, Neil Anderson, again, acknowledged in his speech about the use of the term Mormon that it might be he acknowledged it might be difficult for some media to ad, uh, to adapt, but seemed mm-hmm. to imply that those that don't aren't behaving, quote, responsibly. How do you is he right? Do you, do you view it that way? I, I don't. Um, but I also believe that Mormon um, encompasses a lot more than our church. And the idea of Mormon theology and Mormon um, people is not just the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And maybe that's just the fact that I uh, have been on the board of the Mormon History Association for the last couple of years. But the idea of Mormon encompasses so much more. Um, it, it, it encompasses uh, Mormon studies, which studies the, our, the reorganized church, the Community of Christ Church, as well as other offshoot groups. And um, Mormon thought is just it's it's just a greater idea than just our church um so you know in terms of i know having been a long time listener of mormon land you guys don't just talk about the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints and so i think it's important for people to understand that um for a broader view mormon is perfectly fine has has dialogue considered adjusting its name or, or does it follow the same philosophy you just outlined Yes, exactly. The same philosophy, the idea that we are a journal of Mormon thought. Do you you think a lot of members who hear that talk understand that difference or nuance? No, (laughs) unfortunately. (laughs) My email says otherwise, too. (laughs) I've I've honestly already seen reactions um, from people online. Um, There's just always after a talk like this, it's kind of a a put down in ways for people to be able to use it as a weapon and say, we're the, we're the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Whenever somebody says Mormon and they do so with a righteous indignation. And I don't think that should be the point of a conference talk to use it as a weapon. And so I just wish that there could have been a little bit more nuance to it. And, um, the church's name can speak for itself and not need others to speak for it. So what topics, are there any topics you were yearning to hear about that went missing? Um, I would have loved to hear more about Heavenly Parents. I don't even know if Heavenly Parents was mentioned. It has been in some talks, 
but I don't remember hearing it. I could be wrong. It, um, was, it was in at least one I can think of. I don't remember who, but we had a quote okay. in the paper that had it. So I do, but it, you're, you're right. It wasn't as much as it sometimes it's been in previous conferences, it seemed. Right. I did. You know, you hear a lot about Heavenly Father and every time I hear Heavenly Father, I'm like, oh, you know, that was an opportunity to say Heavenly Parents, especially when there is um, talk of their love of, of Heavenly Father's love. It can so easily be our Heavenly Parents love. And there, there's a lot of um, love spoken of in this conference. Um, I, I I wish there, I, I don't know. I don't, I wouldn't know how to talk about the political divisiveness in a, in a way that could be specified towards the things that I'm seeing, even within our own ward. And so maybe they did it the best that they could, but um, yeah, there's always people who are hurting um, when things are not said about, you know, love of our LGBT um, children and, and fellow congregants, or, you know, we don't need to be political in ways that, that are, that's hurtful to other people, but there wasn't any of that. I would love still to see at some point a, um, explanation, apology for, um, the, the way that we've treated, uh, black members in the church. And, um, there hasn't been one of those, but maybe sometime and, uh, more women, always more women. There really weren't any talks about racism this time, which is, uh, we've gotten accustomed to hearing that a couple of ish, a that, couple of the conferences. That's true. Nothing um, about that. This yeah, no, that's true. And there has been stuff about race and um, in the last six months, and maybe they're just, you know, you can kind of point back to some of that, some of the things that they've done with the NAACP. But um, yeah, it would it would be nice to, to have more clarification on some of those things. Like I said, the only one who even brought up something like that was Elder Cook, and I think he did it in a mistaken way. Well, Emily Jensen, thanks for joining us today. Always a pleasure. Oh, no, that's what Peggy says. Let me try again. (laughs) (laughs) It is always a pleasure when I come. It is. Um, And it's always a pleasure to have her, too. So uh, thank you. Thank you. And you. (laughs) And be well. Be well. Stay safe. Okay. Thank you. And thanks to Peggy Fletcher Stack. Always a pleasure for me. Right on cue. (laughs) And to our producer, Chris Samuels. We remind our listeners that they can keep up on all the happenings in and about the church by subscribing to the Salt Lake Tribune's free Mormon Land newsletter. Just go to sltrip.com to sign up and we'll talk again next time on Mormon Land. Mormon Land.